Yeah, some stuff from Acts chapter 2. We'll be diving into that today. Uh, man, I just, uh, I don't always do this. Actually, I never do this. But man, this morning, uh, I just really, uh, I felt like this room was alive with singing songs to God. And uh, I appreciated that, to be a part of that. And so I just think it'd be cool one last time if we could just give a big round to God. Let's thank him for all the good things he does. Um, you know, there are some things that are just not meant to be done alone. Think about life, and there's some things that you do all by yourself. And I like alone time, some me time, as much as the next guy. But there are some things that just aren't meant to be done alone. Like, for example, moving. My wife and I have moved several times, like houses. It's not meant to be done alone. Some of you got like, yeah, I've tried it. It's, it's not cool. Uh, last year sometime, uh, uh, my friends Brent and Emily Myers moved houses. Um, and something amazing happened. Uh, on the day that they moved, like 50 people from church showed up to help them move. In fact, I'm curious. It's, I, I'm curious, how many of you were there to help Brent and Emily move? Yeah, okay, so there were like 40 other people there. Okay, that was amazing. It was, it, I have never seen such an efficient work crew. The Myers were blown away. They're like, what is going on here? They could hardly, we, we looked like ants stocking up for the winter. Like we were just carrying stuff, like big, you know, big grasshoppers and stuff. And we were like putting stuff in the truck. The people in the truck couldn't load it fast enough. And those of us who are standing around like, this is how you do it right here. Like if you're going to move, you need to have 50 people come and help you. I think we moved their entire property in something like an hour and a half, like all the way in and out of both houses. It was, it was ridiculous. Some things are not meant to be done alone. There's so much better when you have kind of a buddy or a wingman or a partner in crime to get involved with you, to do those things with you. Uh, when it comes to the most important things in life, the most valuable and important things, not only are they harder alone, but they're nearly impossible to do alone. Think about things like parenting and marriage and, and just figuring out life. Like if we try to do this all by ourselves. We need someone or something to come alongside us and give us a hand. And there's a word for that. There's a word for that. In fact, it's the word I want to focus on today, and the word for that is helper. Helper. It is upside down. You like that? Smooth. Helper. Uh, we're in this teaching series called Acts, When God Sparks a Movement, and we're reading through the entire book of Acts, and we're just learning all kinds of things about this amazing book, uh, and each week we're having uh, a focus word that we're spending time on. Uh, we've taken the entire book of Acts, and we've broken it down into eight parts, okay? And so last week had a focus word, part one. Do you remember, this is your pop quiz. I don't know if you came ready for a pop quiz this morning. Had a focus word. Does anybody remember last week's focus word? Oh, yes, that was good. You must have wrote that down. Um, wait, wait. And, we, and, and if you missed it, I hope you'll go back and listen to our, our podcast and catch up. As we went through chapter 1, and Jesus gave his disciples some very important instructions before he went back in, to be in heaven and to prepare heaven for us. We talked about all that. But he said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem, and I want you to wait. Is this question number two in your pop quiz. Wait for what? Do you remember? The Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit. And so we talked about what is the Holy Spirit and, and what does that mean. And again, if you missed that, go back and check it out. Um, so wait. And there was a lot that we could go into with that last week. Uh, if you've got a Bible today, uh, would you open it up or scroll down to the book of Acts? We're going to be getting into chapter 2 this morning. And I want to say, if you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, it's, it's, it's awesome to have a good readable English version of the Bible. And so we give those away for free every week. The ones that were under your seats when you came in, you can have that or grab one from back of the coffee area before you leave. I want to make sure you have a good readable Bible. 
I want to kind of bridge the gap between last week, wait, and this week, helper. And to do that, we've got to actually kind of rewind a little bit and go back to chapter 1 and take a look at a verse that we read last week. Because not only was Jesus going to give them the gift of the Holy Spirit, he also gave them a mission, a goal, an objective, something that they had to accomplish. And so let's just rewind while you're flipping over to the book of Acts, uh, to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this is what Jesus said to them. This was his mission. He said, you, talking to his disciples, you will be my witnesses. To Jerusalem, the city they lived in, and Judea, the the country they were in, and Samaria, which is the country right next to them, and to the ends of the earth, which is in Montana, I think. He said, you're going to be my witnesses. I want you to go everywhere, and I want you to tell the world what I've done and what I've done for you and how I've transformed your life. Uh, In another place in the book of Matthew, which is a few books ahead of of Acts, uh, Matthew records a little different part of the conversation. He says simply, go and make disciples of all nations, of all nations. Like I said uh, before, Acts is the story of how the church began. And it's the story of how the church spread around the world. But before there was a church, there was a mission. There was something that had to be done. And the mission was go and tell the world about me. Go tell the whole world about what Jesus did, that he lived, that he died, that he rose from the dead, and that he is a connecting path back to God. In fact, the only one. And that's a pretty cool message, right? Like, yay, church. If you've been in church long or you've been here long, you're like, yeah, I I get it. That's what the church is all about. But here's the problem. When these guys got this instruction, this mission the very first time, nobody else knew. In fact, here's a question. How in the world do you tell the world anything? Imagine if I told you, you have to tell this message to the entire world. Ready, set, go. You just got until you die. That's, that's all the time you have, okay? <laughs> Where do you begin? This is before social media. It's before Facebook and Twitter. It's before mass mailers. It's before billboards. It's even before radio and television. How do you get a message out? It must have seemed impossible for the, the disciples to hear this message from Jesus, I want you to go tell the whole world what I've done. Tell them that I rose from the dead. Tell them that I can change their life. Go. And they're standing there going, how do I do that? Like, where do I even, where do I even begin? Do you remember the old movie, uh, the movies and the old TV show, Mission Impossible? Remember? All right, I want to kind of get you in the mood. Ready? It's like this. like, dun, 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 all right, get ready. This is for the flutes. All right, I want you to picture Tom Cruise, okay? He's riding on his motorcycle. Bum, 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 bum. All right, he's like explosions behind him. He's got no shirt on just for the effect, sunglasses. Are you with me? And like the thing about those movies is that it embraces something that we really get. There, there are some things in life that seem like nobody can do that. Oh, except Tom Cruise, right? It's impossible. It seems impossible. And that franchise has done really well because it's something that we relate to. There are things in life that we, we tackle and we're like, man, if only this were possible, but it's, it's impossible. And what we have here at the beginning of the book of Acts is a mission impossible. Or Jesus tells them, go tell the whole world this message. And they're like, how? Where do I begin? Just think of all the reasons that this would have been hard. Okay? Think of the, think of the barriers that would have been in place that would have made this difficult for the early disciples. Uh, there were geographical barriers they had to overcome. Like they're sitting here in Jerusalem and they've got to get over there and we haven't really explored the whole world yet. And not only that, but beyond the geographical barriers are like language barriers. I mean, as soon as I get outside of my circle of influence, I'm not going to be able to speak to these people. I have no idea what to say to them. And when I get there, how am I going to get their attention? 
Like, if you ever moved to a new city and, like, tried to make a couple friends? Yeah, like, that's hard. And so, but imagine this, like, I want you to tell the whole world, when I get there, how am I going to get their attention? How am I going to, and if I do get their attention, how am I going to be credible to them? Right, you're the out-of-towner who says that you saw a guy raised from the dead. Cool. The crazy people live over there. <laughs> we live here in real world where people don't raise from the dead, right? So where do you even begin? There's barrier on top of barrier on top of barrier. And so it's, it's pretty tough. Not to mention that when you talk about the population of the entire world, it's estimated that the world population in the first century was around 200 million people. And that's a tall task for a handful of people who knew about Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus knew better. Je- Jesus doesn't give them a mission that he knows that they cannot accomplish. It might have felt like a mission impossible, but he says, I can make this possible. One time when he was talking to a group of people about another really big mission that he was talking about in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, he says this, Matthew 19, verse 26, he looked at them and said, well, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And suddenly we're living in a different paradigm where things that were impossible are now possible. Why? Because with God, they're possible. He's able to do things that we cannot conceive or even begin to think about. And so it's really fun to watch God interact with the world. As you read through the Bible, you get to see this really cool picture of what, it happens, what happens when God begins to interact with mankind and change things and move things and shake things and change people. And that's what we get to see here in the book of Acts in chapter 2. God's showing up to make the mission impossible possible and to show his followers that they're never alone. And guys, I want you to know that this is a message not only from the first church, but to the current church, to us and to Christians around the world. And I don't know where you are in faith right now, okay? I don't know if you're just visiting with a friend or maybe you're just kind of new to church and God and you're just kind of checking things out. What I hope that you can walk away with today is the understanding of knowing, wow, there, there is something bigger. And there is someone bigger who's got a plan and he's mobilized people to get it accomplished. So just kind of tune in and see where that lands for you. So we're finally going to be getting into Acts chapter 2 today. So like I said, grab your Bibles, flip over there. Acts is in the last third of the, the Bible. Uh, we call it the New Testament. And the New Testament is the teaching about what Jesus did and said and taught and about what happened with the early church. And the book of Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament. And so if you want to flip over there and find that, um, we're going to start in verse 1. My goal is just to read the story of Acts chapter 2. It's a really captivating story. I'm going to stop here and there to interject, you know, like I normally do. But for the most part, I want the story to tell itself. And so, but we're going to start off and just lay some groundwork and look at just verse 1. Okay? So check a look at verse 1. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Pause there real quick. We'll, we'll move on, but just keep your finger right there. Uh, let's take a look at this sentence and kind of unpack it a little bit. First of all, uh, it says that it was the day of Pentecost. And you might not know what that is. You may know what it is. But Pentecost is a, a Jewish festival. Uh, they called it Pentecost. Greek-speaking Jews called it Pentecost because the word Pentecost means the 50th day. It's a Greek word that means the 50th day. Because Pentecost was 50 days after another festival. That festival was called Passover. All right, and you might, a little tidbit, if you realize this about Jesus' whole story, he was executed and resurrected on, over Pentecost weekend. So that's 50 days later. This is the scope that we're living in from the time that Jesus rose from the dead to this day. So it's the 50th day. Um, a couple of things about Pentecost. First of all, that Jesus rose from the, the dead on, on Passover. So we can get kind of a, a, a peg date to know that the story that we're about to hear is about 50 days later. The second thing is this. 
that in those days, uh, Jewish people would make pilgrimage from all around the world to Jerusalem on Pentecost. It was just a holiday that people would, they would flock in mass to, uh, to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate their faith and to celebrate this, this, um, this festival. And so the last thing that you need to understand about this is, uh, and so important to know there, the town is full of out-of-towners. It's packed. It's like bigger than Azalea Fest, okay? It's like, it's packed. There are people here who don't live in this city. That's, that's valuable. And the third thing is this. Um, Jesus had told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait. For what? Remember? What were they waiting for? The Holy Spirit. This is the day where the gift shows up, okay? So that's what you, we're gonna, we'll start over again. Verse 1 again, okay? It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And that's those people. Suddenly, a sound like, like a violent wind came from heaven, and, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues and as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, you can't rush through this. Okay, like this, this is a very short sentence to describe a, a, a what moment. Okay, like we're sitting in our house. Maybe you're, you're having dinner over at my house, okay? Suddenly like a hurricane noise comes outside. It's like a tornado has landed outside our house. A sound like a violent wind. And then out of nowhere, fire appears and begins to rest over our heads. And not only that, we begin speaking in languages that we didn't already know. Now, this isn't gibberish. This isn't some kind of angelic tongue. This is, these are known languages, and we know that because if you keep reading the story, verse 5, it says this. It says, now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Remember, people had come from out of town. So it was packed with out-of-towners, verse 6, when they heard this sound. A crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard their own language being spoken. So check this out. This is what's going on here. Like, I don't know uh, French, the language French. I, I, I dabble in Spanish. Like, um, I could stand there and, and listen to Dora the Explorer and kind of get it, right? French, nothing, all right? I got, I got nothing. Um, that would be like me standing here, okay? All of a sudden, there's like a tornado. It sounds like it landed outside. Not a tornado, just the sound of a tornado. Suddenly, fire raises over my head, and I begin to preach in French. That's wild. Now, here's the thing. I don't know French. Most of you don't know French, but some of you might know Celio and Elise Nelson. Okay, they go to church here, over here. These guys, they know French. You know why? Because they're French. Okay? They, like, have lived in Paris and stuff. Okay? So they're sitting here, and it's like one day I'm preaching. It's like, man, that dude, Chris, he is speaking way too fast. He's like a southerner who just needs to slow down and have less sweet tea. I, I can't follow him. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes on me. I begin preaching in French, and they're like, oh, we're good now. I can understand now. And the rest of you are like, what is happening? It's amazing. In fact, that's exactly what they say. They say this in verse 7. Let's keep reading the story. Utterly amazed, the people asked, aren't those people who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears our own native language? Then you list the, the types of people that are there. The Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts from Judaism to Judaism, uh, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring wonders of God in our own tongue. And amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, I love this question, what does this mean? <laughs> what is going on here? Did you see me count 
there are 15 people groups represented in this list. 15. 15 groups from all over the world hearing Jesus' followers not only speaking God's truth, but speaking it in their own native language. Not the language of the common person, which was Greek, but their heart language. That language that they grew up with. Do we have this map? There's a map of, uh, of where Jerusalem is. If you can see, there's the Mediterranean Sea over to the left, kind of in the middle. This represents the people group that that list said. Look at that. Just think about how many languages and people groups were represented there. Like, I've memorized a few phrases in French. Like, I'm pretty good. I don't, I don't want to show off, guys, Nelson's. But, um, like, parlez-vous français? Yeah? Uh, like, croissant? <laughs> and I'm done. That's all I got. That's nonsense. This is something different. These guys are proclaiming the truth about God in a language that they hadn't previously learned. And they say, what does this mean? Let's keep reading verse 13. Let's let the story tell itself. Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Sure, because drunk people are always spontaneously learning foreign languages. <laughs> no. So verse 14, Peter, he's kind of the, the leader of this group. He steps up and he clarifies things. He says, it, Peter stood up with the 11. He raised his voice and addressed the crowd. So tune in. This is about to get really good. Peter starts to preach. This is what he says. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And some people are like, was well, that too early? <laughs> I, I didn't know. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. This was a, a prophet that was from the Old Testament, and these people would have known his name. This is what Joel said. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. He says, no, these guys aren't drunk. And this isn't some mad men in a sideshow. This is something that Joel, who is someone that they would have all known, uh, it would be like an American quoting like Thomas Jefferson or Abraham Lincoln. Like these, these Jewish people would have, would have known Joel, and they would have been familiar with his work. This is something that Joel prophesied. And Peter, who was full of the Holy Spirit, explains, this is what he was talking about in Joel, this moment, right now. So in verse 22, he just keeps on going. He keeps preaching. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you. How was Jesus accredited to God by then? How did he gain credit? How could they know that he was from God? This is how. By miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, why? Because in Jerusalem, many people had seen it. Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. You remember that? It was only 50 days ago. A lot of you were there. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then we're going to skip ahead to verse 32. So he kind of wraps it up. He says, so God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out what you now see and hear. 
And by this time, thousands and thousands of people have gathered around to witness the spectacle. I don't know if they came initially because of the loud sound of the wind or because of the spectacle of people speaking uh, in, in their own language or other people going, hey, dude, come check this out. This is amazing. These guys, I don't understand what's happening. But whatever it was, there are now thousands of people around there. And many of these people had witnessed Jesus do some of his most celebrated acts. They, they had seen him do the miracles. It had been a little less than eight weeks prior to this moment that many of them were standing in the streets when Jesus was paraded through there in this weird trial that he went through. And, and Pontius Pilate gets up and he's like, what should we do with this guy? And the crowd yells, crucify him, crucify him. And the people standing in the audience right then are going, I remember that. That was just the other day. I was there. And then we talked about last week, after Jesus died, he stayed in the grave for three days, but then he rose from the dead, and he began to appear to people. And we know that he appeared to over 500 people. You know where some of those 500 people were at that moment? Standing in the crowd, going, yeah, I saw him. Yeah. What? He saw him. This guy says he saw Jesus. Can you see the impact this moment must have been having for the people standing in that crowd? And then Jesus, and then Peter, sorry, who is acting as the mouthpiece of all the apostles, he says, and then you, you with the help of wicked men put Jesus to death. And it's by the Spirit of God today that you're witnessing these amazing things. Make no mistake, God is involved in this. And these people who were religious, who were looking for a Messiah, who did understand what the prophecies said would happen one day, that Jesus would come and things like that suddenly begin to think, what if it really did happen? Verse 36, let's see the rest of the story. It says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, he keeps kind of reminding them of that, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And I imagining, I imagine a, a, a deafening silence right there. And the people just go, yeah, something's happening. God is up to something right now. And in verse 37, it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter, and they asked Peter and the other apostles, they said, brothers, what shall we do? So after Peter's speech, the, the people are extremely moved. Okay? And, they, and they see the truth in what he's saying. Many of them had seen the acts of Jesus. They'd seen him after he'd risen from the dead. The word begins to spread around the crowd. And they then are practically begging Peter to tell them what to do. Give us a response. And yet, what do we do now? And here's where I want to pause the story. Okay, we've kind of let the story tell itself. I just kind of want to, I want to pause the story. And I want to rewind to earlier that morning. Imagine we're sitting around the breakfast table with the disciples, okay? And, and I don't know, John is, is eating his Cheerios, <laughs> And, and they're like sitting there, and they're talking about this mission impossible that Jesus gave them. Jesus told us to go into all the world and start telling people about him. Start in Jerusalem and spread the message around the world to the ends of the earth. What? And he's eating his Cheerios, and, and they're waiting. They're waiting. Like, Jesus told us to come wait. We're waiting for his spirit, whatever that means. We're waiting, and they're hanging out. And then John speaks up, and he says, and this isn't in the Bible. I'm just dreaming, okay? John speaks up, and he's like, guys, Jesus gave us this big mission, but seriously, how are we going to do this? I mean, don't you think we should get started? Where do we begin? I mean, think about all the barriers we have. 
And he goes through them. Like, think, think about how big the world must be. We don't even know how big it is from where we're sitting. And think about the geographical barriers. Have you ever climbed a mountain? I, I don't know what we would do. What, what about these huge oceans and rivers and things we've got to get over? I don't even know. What about the language barriers that we're going to encounter? How are we going to speak to people who have never heard this message? And once we get there, how are we going to gain any credibility? And what about politics? They're going to kick us out. And what about the Roman Empire? And we go around and, and we can't be starting new religions. That's crazy. Barrier, barrier, barrier. And that was at breakfast. And my, how things have changed since breakfast. Suddenly, we find that with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The story of the book of Acts, when it comes down to completing God's most important mission, is that God knows we're going to need help to get his work done. He's not leaving us out there all alone to manage. He doesn't want us out there and, and, do, and do a half-cocked effort to do something and then fail at it. He goes, no, I realize that you need me, and I need you to trust me. And when I say helper, we've been using this word, I want, I want to make clear, this is not like when your uh, preschooler helps you make dinner. This is not that type of help. Like, that's sometimes not helpful at all, is it? Like, spaghetti sauce everywhere. You're like, what happened? I don't know what happened. This is more like going to your cousin, Vinny, who's like a mechanic, okay? And you're like, hey, Vinny, I need some help with my car. And he's like, I'm an expert, you know? I come over and I fix your car. And he walks in and he fixes everything and he's helping you. But in reality, he's doing all the heavy lifting as long as you're willing to stand there and hold the flashlight. When we say that the Holy Spirit is our helper, this is him coming in and doing the heavy lifting for us, saying, I got you. I've got a mission not only for this world, but even for your individual life. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to trust me because I got you. Let me show you how he did it in this scenario. Let's just go through the barriers that they, that they address. It's like God said, what, geographical barriers? Geographical barriers. Ah, How about this? How about I get people from all over the world to come to you? That'd be easy. Yeah, how about that? Language barriers, language barriers. Oh, cue fire over your head. You can spontaneously speak languages that you've never known before. Why? Because I am God. I created language. It's no big deal for me to help you speak it. How are you going to get people's attention? Uh, how about a really loud wind that's just going to make everybody come over there? All right, what else did you need? Credibility? Okay, credibility. How about this? I just put people in the audience who saw the miracles. Who saw Jesus appear to them after they raised from the dead? Barrier gone, barrier gone, barrier gone. Helper arrived. And with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Let's, let's finish the story, okay? We got just a little bit more left. Uh, remember in verse 37, they asked Peter, uh, what should we do, okay? In verse 38, Peter is going to give the first invitation for people to become Christians. In fact, if you're not a Christian this morning or you're kind of on the fence or trying to decide, like, I don't really know where I stand, I could not give you a clearer explanation than these few words that Peter speaks on. This is where you begin. This is a good starting point. So they say, brothers, what should we do? And this is what Peter says in verse 38. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the helper. What should we do? We'll repent. 
Turn away from this, the life that you were living where you were doing just for you. Turn towards God. That's repentance. It's turning away from sin. It's walking towards God. It's a 180-degree turnaround. Repent and be baptized. The Bible talks about baptism in several different places, but in the book of Romans, it says that when we are baptized in Christ, we are buried with him, and then we are raised to walk in newness of life. It's like a fresh start. And what happens in that whole exchange? You will receive forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You get a clean slate and a helper. Why? Because life goes on. And we've got a mission. Let's finish out that thing, verse 39. He says, this promise is for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all those who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. Which is great news, because that's us too. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, which means he preached for like another hour. And he says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And listen to this, this is so cool. Verse 41, and those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And that's the story from Acts chapter 2. 3,000. That's awesome. You want to jumpstart a movement? Would it help if you had 3,000 helpers to go along with you? (laughs) That would probably be nice. Many people would call this the first day of the church. And it is. It's the first day that the church began to move and do things in a more official way. And with man, it would have been impossible. But with God's help, no problem. Where does that leave us today? Okay, that's a cool story. And it's, it's over there, and it's in the Bible, and it's kind of compartmentalized over there. So what does that mean for us today? The book of Acts is a lot of things. It's, it's a history book. Uh, it's a story about the first church. It's full of adventure. It's a tale of this movement and how it kind of spread around the world. It's full of inspiring ch- stories of life change. Uh, it's part of the Bible. That's some things that the book of Acts is. And it's easy for us to feel like all of that is happening over there and back then in the Bible, like way over there. But the awesome thing about God's Holy Spirit is that it's right here, and it's right now. And it bridges the gap between the back then and over there to where you are today. What does that have to do with us today? Well, last week we talked about uh, the different ways that God manifests Manifest Like, the, how can we interact with God? And we talked about kind of the three things that traditionally has been called the Trinity. And there's God, the Father. And he's just, he's the creator. He's God in his full state. And he's the supreme being. That's God as the Father. And then when God decides he wants to uh, incarnate, become a man, put on skin, that's called Jesus. And those are the two things we talk about probably the most. But then we talk about the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week. What is the Holy Spirit? It's, it's God's spirit spiritual form interacting with the souls of man it is God right here right now that's what the Holy Spirit is when we decide to live for Jesus the helper moves moves into our life and he does something amazing he does amazing things with us. As we read the rest of Acts, we're going to see the helper embolden people. We're going to see people who weren't leaders step up and be leaders. We're going to see the Holy Spirit guide people in truth when they don't even know the answers to what they should be saying. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit helps them understand. We'll see the Holy Spirit, the helper, ease the fear of people who are standing in the face of terrible, scary circumstances. Could any of you use any of that? Emboldenment, courage, Answers, guidance, leading. We'll see the helper transform evil people into loving people. And all through the power of the helper. The Holy Spirit's no joke. 
And he's still doing that today. One of the people that the Holy Spirit helped was a guy named Paul. Uh, we talk about Paul a lot. And uh, we're actually going to spend a whole week talking about Paul in this series because his story is huge in the book of Acts. But Paul went, on, went from being a persecutor of Christians and a murderer to becoming the greatest Christian missionary to ever live. How does that transition happen? Something amazing happens in our life when we interact with God's Holy Spirit, when Jesus purifies us, and when God sends his helper. We change. We're transformed from something that we shouldn't be to something that we should be. And so what he does here in uh, the book of Galatians, Paul begins to talk about what the Holy Spirit has done in his life. I just want to let Paul tell you what the Holy Spirit did in his life, and this is what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, uh, like if the, the Spirit of God were a tree, these would be the fruit that he would produce, okay? The fruit of someone's life who has God's Spirit in them. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. If you look through that list of words there, I wonder if there are any of those things that you battle with, that you struggle with. Love, joy, do you have a hard time finding joy sometimes? Peace? As I meet with people who are trying to figure out spiritual life, one of the biggest needs that they express to me is like, I just want peace. Like if I could just have peace with this, maybe you're feeling that. Love, joy, peace, and patience. Anybody struggle with patience? I seen you on College Road, don't lie. I seen you. <laughs> patience, kindness, goodness. Gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, that's one that I, I battle with myself. It's something that our culture battles with, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I mean, no good society would say, oh, we don't want any of this stuff in our life. Here's the thing. This is the fruit of God's spirit in our life, taking us from something that we shouldn't be to something that we should be, making life with God and towards God from a place where it was impossible how can I be so loving and so joyful and so patient and so kind and all these things? How can I do that? Well, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible, and I can give you these things. And it grows in us, and it helps us change. Here's the thing. When, when you decide to live for Jesus, you get the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. He's the helper. The Bible also calls him uh, the comforter. He calls him the tutor. The Bible calls uh, him our advocate. This is God being in our life saying, I got you, I'll lead you, I'll guide you, just trust me. It's God's presence leading your life every step of the way. I know it's been true for me. What I got to ask you this morning is where are you with that? Have you felt God's presence in your life? If you are new to church and God and maybe Christianity isn't the tag that you'd put on yourself right now, um, I just want to ask you, what would it be like to be a to experience God moving in your life? Man, it's, it's an abstract question, but what if it's true? I want to just encourage you to come back. Just come back and hang with us. Spend some time as we continue to dig through the book of Acts. Maybe you want to grab somebody and say, look, uh, do you read the Bible? You do? You want to read it with me? Because I'm having a hard time with this. Like, I think all of us could benefit from that. Maybe you're at a place where you're like, I really would love the Holy Spirit in my life, and I'm, I'm really grabbing onto this Jesus thing. I want to be a Christian. Well, repent and be baptized. And you will receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you want to talk more about that, we can't. Just come get me. We're not a huge church. Just come talk to me. I would love to talk to you. We're calling this series Acts, When God Sparks a Movement 
And there are two big words there, spark and movement. It's where it begins and it's where it's going. Because it's so important to understand that God is in this. The church is his movement. And he's right here with us. He's our helper every step of the way. That's helper. Can I pray for you guys this morning? Uh, God, I struggle a lot. I'm just trying to be the best version of myself. And it seems like I take, what is it, two steps forward and one step backwards a lot. And I know I'm not alone in that. Um, Lord, I, it's hard sometimes to look at my life and think, I can handle this, I can manage this. And I'm so glad that you're kind of telling me I don't have to. <laughs> I mean, sure, I've got responsibilities that I can't shirk, but you say, I've got your back. Lean on me, I've sent a helper. I thank you for pouring him into my life, for to have your presence in my life is just, I'm humbled. As I say it right now, I realize I'm not worthy of it, but thank you. I pray for this room, my church family, uh, that you would help us all to seek your guidance and your spirit in our life. And if this is something new for any of us, that we'll just kind of dig in a little bit more and try to understand. Uh, Your word can speak way more clearly than mine can speak. And so I just pray that you and your spirit move and help us understand. Thank you for the movement that began so long ago on Pentecost, and I pray that we can continue it today. And I know that even when we fail, you'll be there to help us. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.